Today is the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies, July 18th, Thursday night. Tomorrow is the 19th. I want to make sure that everybody who hears this recording knows that there's two memorial days for us. It's Juneteenth, tomorrow. had to do with freeing of the slaves after the Civil War. And also is the anniversary of the execution of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, who were accused by the government of being atomic spies for the Soviet Union. And they were, in fact, martyrs for our cause. There were two Jewish communists who lived in Lower East Side in New York, and they were executed and left two children, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. I just want to get that on the recording. So let's get started now. In the 20s, in Germany, when there was the rise of fascism, there was another rise, the rise of the German Communist Party. Remember, it was right after 1917. There was the Great Bolshevik Revolution. A lot of uprisings were going on in Europe. And with the uprisings in Europe, the reactionaries throughout Europe, the vested interests, the landed aristocracy, the monarchies, they fought back. They fought back. And there were bloody struggles in the streets of Europe. There were revolutions in Hungary, in Germany, sections of Germany. There were uprisings. It was the time when there was a murder of Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht, who were the founders of the German Communist Party. They were murdered by the Freikorps, thrown into the river, and the government was, at the time, the Social Democratic government of Ebert and Schneiderman. There's a saying that Comrade Stalin said, and was common in the communist movement, that the term social fascist, whenever you found a social democrat and you scratch them, would you find a reactionary underneath it? And this was the beginning of that understanding that social democrats were not our friends. They helped in the execution of two communist leaders in Germany. This was at the same time that all this was going on. So while the trade union movement and the Communist Party had rallies, big rallies in Germany. They needed to have a self-defense movement that would protect them from the brown shirts and other Nazi forces that would come into the rallies and bash heads and break up the rallies. So they set up something called Antifa. Some people say Antifa. And their slogan was to protect as a self-defense force, the workers' movements that were having rallies against fascism. Because remember, this was the time when Hitler tried his failed coup, the beer hall, a failed coup, and he was sent to prison. In prison, he wrote his book, Mein Kampf, My Struggles, which became the Bible of the Nazi movement. So Antifa that was set up, their logo was... Workers carrying two red flags. I want people to know that. And their job was self-defense. Now that you know the history of it, let's look at the current events of what the role of a group that calls itself Antifa, what's their role today? Well, number one is they changed the logo. They took away one of the red flags and they put a black flag in its place. I think that's important. You all know that. Black flag representing anarchy. In case people haven't been on the school long enough to know the history of anarchist movements, 
They have been many times contrary to ours, physically attacking us. Two big historical events, Kronstadt Rebellion during the revolution in Russia, in which the anarchist uprising was to attack the young Soviet government. And at that time, even Leon Trotsky took a part of the Bolshevist government putting down the uprising at the Kronstadt Rebellion. That's number one. Number two, Spain. We all know in Spain in the 30s, there was an uprising against the monarchy, and the election brought into for an election, no less, communist and socialist working together. It was called the Popular Front Government in Spain. And in a period of five years, 31 or 32, within five years, Franco and the fascists, Franco was a general in the army, stationed in Morocco, the army. They had an uprising supported by the monarchy and supported by the landowners. And, of course, Germany and Italy supported them militarily. This uprising was against the Republic of Spain. And in the Republic of Spain, while they were fighting the fascists, guess what happened in Barcelona? The Pumists, who are Trotskyites, Pumists, P-O-U-M as their abbreviation, and the anarchists joined forces to have an uprising in the Spanish Republic against the Republic the same period, the same month that the Spanish fascists had their uprising. So you could see clearly that the anarchists were never friends of us. Comrade Stalin wrote a great pamphlet, which we read in the school, called something about socialism or anarchism, which way forward, socialism or anarchism. And he specifies how anarchists are not our friends, but in many cases are our direct enemies. So let me bring all that up to what's going on today. So Antifa has been rearing its head lately. I remember them. They weren't called Antifa, but the formation of having ultra-left forces at anti-Vietnam War demonstrations in New York City. They would be there at the end coming up. And as we had peaceful assemblage of literally hundreds of thousands post of the imperialist war in Vietnam, all of a sudden this group of hooded people, same dress, came along and broke the windows of the banks and had fights with the cops. So the next day the bourgeois media did not report on 600,000 people marching in New York City against the war. They reported on the anarchist group breaking of the windows. So there you see the cops would come in, break up the peace march. We didn't know until what happened in Contempo, the government set a plan to disrupt the communists and the left movement in general. It was aimed at the Black Panther Party, among other groups. But we found out about these provocateurs, many of them being paid by the police, who come in and dress up as left-wing people with black masks, etc. And we found that out later on. Now the same grouping is raising its head the last few years on the issue of Black Lives Matter and the murder of this African-American, etc. I'm going to go quickly into how their role today is not to build but to destroy. That's the role of all anarchists, not to build anything. They're not interested in building the Workers' Party, as Lenin did, but they're interested in destroying and just breaking down and replacing it. They didn't care what what, even fascism, as long as they destroy whatever they can destroy. 
So a lot of young people have come into our movement with confusion about that. So we decided to have this in the people's school tonight. I hope we can have a rational discussion. I'm going to hope no now for any questions. You brought up the martyrs, and I just wanted to say it. I don't believe in martyrs because so long as we remember them and so long as they fuel our movement and fuel us and fuel our hatred, they'll never truly die. Okay, well stated. I got your message, and I agree with you. So as somebody who pretty much came out of anarchism to Marxism-Leninism, I had a whole different perspective on a lot of this stuff with Kronstadt, Antifa, and Black Blocks. Now, without a doubt, there's definitely outside players in the instigation, and it's been proven. As far as my understanding, a Black Block is separate from Antifa, Antifa being what I've always learned is a banner for any anti-fascist action, be it violent or otherwise, whereas a Black Block is more of a tactic for protests to make it more difficult for police to identify the key players or who's doing what or what's going on at all. That is just where I'm coming from with it. With Kronstadt, the narrative I've always heard was the people wanted like a direct democracy, anarchists wanted to do their thing and whatnot and got cracked down on where some of their demands were after the fact met by Lenin, where he kind of went halfway after the fact. I could be wrong in all this. These are just the narratives that I've always known. Okay, thank you, Comrade. So I've seen some Iron Front symbolism at the Antifa protests. So do social Democrats attend Antifa protests? If you're asking me, many of the Antifa protests are geared for people who are upset in an issue, and they'll join any movement that's opposed to that issue, and they don't look carefully at who's organizing it. And so social Democrats can easily, easily get involved with a protest led by Antifa. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen it. Did I answer your question? Yes. I have two questions. First of all, you've mentioned in the past that you don't believe that Donald Trump is a fascist. So Donald Trump is more of the precursor laying the foundation for fascism in the United States, whereas you've mentioned before, instead of actually being himself fascist. But has your opinion changed on that in light of news that's broken today or yesterday about using actual Nazi symbols for political prisoners in his advertisements? Yeah, I have changed. It's interesting you mentioned that. I still don't consider him a typical average example historically of fascist. No. Mm -hmm. But the class interest he represents and the role he plays objectively, definitely as time goes on, you see more and more whose side he's on. There was an old union song in the 1930s. There's an old union song, which side are you on? And definitely Trump always seems to fall, always on a certain side. What I meant originally is there used to be in history what we call the man on the white horse. He was the guy that came before the actual fascist leader. That's what I meant when I described him as not actually a fascist, but his support obviously comes from that section of the population. Those interests and the fact that you have some multinational corporations opposed to him and some that support him is typical of the division in the ruling class that we've always had have. In Germany, some of the financial forces supported Hitler as he was rising up in the 20s, and others did not. So there's always been a division of that. And remember, 
the famous Communist Party's poster in the 1920s, and it goes like this. It shows you a picture of Hitler, and it says, there are millions behind Hitler, and then there's a space. Millions of German marks, and then you see all the German money. So that poster <laughs> became, it's in the museums, by the way, many museums, that particular poster, and that was put out by the German KPD. So, yeah, it's obviously that subjectively and objectively, where does he stand? And I think objectively, he stands with fascism. I hope I answered you, comment. Yeah. My question is, you talked about how during the anti-war protests that people went into the peaceful movement and were starting to break windows and stuff. And I can see similarities with the Black Lives Matter protests and how you have people burning buildings and doing other types of property damages. So I'm kind of curious, is there any actual evidence of quote-unquote Antifa members in the Black Lives Matter movement doing the same thing? I can answer that easily. First of all, the historical moment is not really over yet. But as time goes on, we will find out more information. But let's just look at history as a barometer of where we are in society. And yes, cops, the cops, the police force, were behind a lot of breaking of the windows, and they wore black uniforms with masks on at the time. And that was, I don't know how many years ago, 40, 50 years ago. And yeah, it seems like this is not even a new tactic. This is something that if we go back in history and study how people organized against oppressive leaderships in other countries and societies, we would find the same thing. It's an old tactic. Has there been proof? All I can tell you is that the recent situation that has been going on, I'm noticing white anarchists who are under the dome of anti-fascist, Antifa, have been attacked. I've seen it on videos by black African-Americans, of course, who are opposing the police, what they did to the black community, and they have gotten and held for the cops, people who are destroying the sidewalks. And I don't know if anybody has seen that video, but that's one of the videos. And they unmasked them. And it's always the same looking of a person. Contempo, what happened to us, is a reincarnation what happened against the Communist Party in the 50s. They join a movement. They're usually the most radical, the most violent talking, and they're the ones you have to be careful of the most. So this is not a new tactic. It's an old tactic, probably as old as the movement against oppression. Us as socialists and communists, our strength is in collective organizing, and this sort of adventurous line is both not helpful in advancing any goals, and it's really terrible for optics. I've seen a number of people pushed away from being principled socialists from seeing things like this on the news. Thank you, comrade, for that statement. Remember what Lenin said. When you analyze of how something affects society, there are two ways to look at it. One is subjectively, and one is objectively. Objectively, what teaches us is that the road to hell could be paved with good intentions. In other words, it doesn't matter what the intentions you have. What's more important is the objective result. And if the objective result creates more people following the road to fascism, then it's 
not for us. It's negative. If the objective results help the working class, then it's positive. There's an algebraic expression that can be applied to Marxism, which, if you write it down, is written this way. It's the letter A, and then a symbol equals with a line through it, and then another A. So the total is A does not equal A. And what that means, in Marxist terms, is that the world and everything in it, including our ideas, is in a state of constant motion. Nothing is standing still. And some people have a lot of trouble with that. Throughout history, they have trouble understanding that there is a connection between everything between our ideas, between science, between physics, everything that happens in the world is all connected. And it's always changing. And so when we're Marxist-Leninists, Leninism was an advancement over Marxism because Lenin was the development of Marxism in the age of imperialism. And that was his contribution to it. So it took Marxism to the next level. There are several on the left who do not accept Leninism. They consider themselves Marxists, but they don't consider themselves to be Leninists. And some will even say they're Leninists, but they're not. But what the trouble is, is that what we get into is that a lot of times, because they have access to publicity and things like that, they can spread erroneous ideas around the world, and they do. And a group like Antifa can do that also because they're enabled by the mass media of capitalism. And capitalism will constantly aid these groups and spread their ideas around. And so there are people who may be well-intended, who are members of these groups or close to these groups, and don't know the history and don't know the difference in philosophy, and they don't understand what dialectical materialism is, they will make the mistake of following. And they'll do that, and we'll pay the price for it. But the thing to remember that Lenin always pointed out is that the ruling class brings violence to us, to the working class. We don't bring the violence to them. They bring the violence to us. Whatever violence there is from the working class is always a reaction to the violence that's been heaped upon them over years, whether it's the violence of slavery, whether it's the violence of strikes, any kind of pro-worker idea, any kind of idea that talks about unity of the working class, they try to smash it. And they will use groups like this, like the Antifa and the other anarchist-type organizations, to do their work for them. And in some cases, they'll even promote those groups. And I guess it was... Ukraine, where George Soros was involved, he has something called an open society. And what he does is he goes around and he funds groups that are supposedly fighting for human rights. 
But when you look at what they're talking about, their missions and their goals have nothing to do with human rights. They have to do with regime change, which is the exact policy of the United States imperialist government. Regime change. Some would call it worse than that, but the polite language for it is regime change. They don't want to say imperialism, so they say regime change. But the bottom line here is that those groups internationally and in our country that are anarchists that follow that discipline, the main thing that they believe in that unites them is they don't believe in government. They don't believe in government of any time. When I was in the IWW, I was always trying to do political action. And I run up against them and they don't do political action. They do direct action. So they go and directly on strike. When they had their first contracts in the IWW, they didn't have contracts. They had verbal agreements. They had shake of hands. And if there's a problem, we'll go on strike and solve the problem. Very confrontational very difficult to solve any kind of problems for the worker. If you're a worker and you're trying to solve a problem, you have to go through this process. It's very, very difficult. So people figured out a better way of working, a more scientific way of working, and that's when the Communist Party came along. And they followed Lenin, and they followed Marx, and they unified that struggle, and they coalesced behind it. And so the anarchists played the role of spoiler because they didn't want unity of the working class. They don't want unity because they don't want government. They want everything to be organized, society to be organized without government. They don't want socialist government. They don't want communist government. They don't want any government. And so they don't recognize the power of the state. And they don't recognize what state power means. Whenever they go into a struggle, if you look at them, they have creative tactics, hit-and-run tactics and stuff, guerrilla sort of tactics. The word guerrilla comes from the Spanish Civil War. That's where the original guerrillas were. They were the brigades, the international brigades were the guerrillas. And they did street fighting. So what these people do is try to rely on that, and they limit themselves from all other kinds of struggle, which is sort of like the opposite of what Marx is telling us, which is question everything. He says question everything. He wants us to believe and use all of the tools that are at our disposal. You don't throw it out just because it's not romantic or not exciting. One of the things that happened in the party that we used to see a lot is that the Young people were attracted to action. They were attracted to things that were exciting. and Doing the kinds of work that's truly revolutionary work, the hard work, the real hard work that has to be done, which is organizational work, that's not the kind of thing that anarchists are interested in. So right away, they won't join us because... We want to send out letters and we want to keep lists of people and contact lists and organize them into groups. We're interested in building something that goes beyond the next street fight. They're only interested in building the next street fight. But it gets back to this thing about A does not equal A. 
everything okay. is in motion and everything is changing. Thank you, Comrade. You started with A is not equals A, and you're finishing with A is not equals A. Anything else you'd like to add? If you don't recognize change, if you don't recognize that things are in a constant state of motion, then you make ultra-left mistakes. Thank you for that. I think my position is that Lenin said that in the era of state monopoly capitalism, the relevance of parties like democratic, socialist, liberal, neoliberal, all is trash. In the final analysis, they are against the working class, the proletariat, and the working masses of all countries globally. It's not only limited to the United States, but I find the position and the election of Donald Trump very controversial. And vis-a-vis the so-called Democratic Party, I'm wondering that he is more peaceful in terms of international relations than the Democratic Party. If you remember Hillary Clinton, she was talking about having a no-fly zone over Syria. I think that would have definitely led to a major Middle East war, including a nuclear war with Russia. I think I'm not very skeptical about that. It would have happened because Russia has over 120,000 troops in Syria. And Syria is a long-standing ally of Russia for over 50 to 60 years. And I think if she waged a no-fly zone over Syria, I don't think Russia would have stayed away from uh, without flying over Syria. We have to so I think in this, in this time and age, in terms of international relations, I see that Trump is more realistic than the so-called Democratic Party. Okay, thank you. The ultimate goal of communism is something similar to an anarchist society, a classless, stateless, cashless society. However, it seems as though that as long as there's opposing nation states that aren't governed by communism, that going to such a classless, cashless, stateless state is almost impossible due to the opposing nation states would try to do whatever they could to jeopardize such a communist movement across the globe. So it's almost as though that a state is necessary until almost the world is communist before we can progress to that scientific communism. Okay, thank you for that. When he was talking about how, as revolutionaries, we focus on unity of the working class as opposed to anarchists just wanting direct action, waiting for the next street fight and stuff. I was just wondering how those tactics look different in an imperial country like the U.S., where there's a labor aristocracy and stuff like that, where the relationship between the different sections of the working class is complicated. In a country like America, where throughout our entire history, we have had a labor aristocracy, where mainly the white, especially Anglo-Saxon sections of the working class filled the more professional roles, trade union leaders and white-collar jobs and stuff like that, whereas black and brown people have been forced to do more of the actual proletarian elements of our economy especially when we had slavery and before we won a lot of the labor rights that we have now, but even today. So in a situation like that where it's more complicated, but uniting the working class oftentimes has meant silencing other sections of the working class for speaking about the white proletariat. And so in a situation like that, what do the tactics look like as opposed to in the colonial country 
or semi-colonial country like Russia or China or somewhere like that. Well, communists have always said the unity of the working class is predominant. When the communists were involved in building the Congress of Industrial Organizations, CIO, in the 30s, black Americans were in the leadership of many of those unions. You may not be aware of that. So it did happen when communists were in control. We had 18 unions built during the 30s. 11 of them were led by communists, including, on all levels, black Americans who are communists have been in the leadership, not only of the party, but of the trade union movement and mass organizations that the party led. So that history has been denied you and everyone else, and so you get a different message, a different story that has been given. So the ultra-left, in my opinion, has always concentrated on labor aristocracy. But communists never did that. Communists concentrated on the unity of the working class. This idea of labor aristocracy is big among the Trotskyite movements, I want you to know that, among the Maoist movements, and among certain sections of Lenin. But if you look at the whole message of Lenin, it does not go into that. Lenin talks about the unity of the working class I'm going to read a small bit from Anarchism or Socialism by Stalin. Some people believe that Marxism and anarchism are based on the same principles and that the disagreements between them concern only tactics. So that in the opinion of these people, it is quite impossible to draw a contrast between these two trends. This is a great mistake. We believe that the anarchists are real enemies of Marxism. Accordingly, he also holds that a real struggle must be waged against real enemies. Therefore, it is necessary to examine the, quote, doctrine, unquote, of the anarchists from beginning to end and weigh it up thoroughly from all aspects. The point is that Marxism and anarchism are built up entirely different principles. In spite of the fact that both come into the arena of the struggle under the flag of socialism. The cornerstone of anarchism is the individual whose emancipation according to its trends is the principal condition for the emancipation of the masses, the collective body. According to the tenets of anarchism, the emancipation of the masses is impossible until the individual is emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is, everything for the individual. The cornerstone of Marxism, however, is the masses whose emancipation, according to its tenets, is the principal condition for the emancipation of the individual. That is to say, according to the tenets of Marxism, the emancipation of the individual is impossible until the masses are emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is, everything for the masses. Clearly, we have here two principles, one negating the other, and not merely disagreements on tactics. Thank you, comrades. Thank you, comrades. Okay, Antifa was set up originally in Germany as a defensive organization. What was their job? Their job was to protect anti-fascist rallies so that the brown shirts wouldn't come in and physically break them up. If they did, our Antifa was there to protect the people at the rally who were peacefully having a rally. And that's the difference. The Antifa today is offensive. 
Think about it. They go into a peaceful rally of fascist-minded people, and they start breaking up heads. That is not, N-O-T, big letters, what the original Antifa did. And the original Antifa was fighting the most brutal of all enemies, real, live fascism, as in Nazi Germany. And they didn't even do what the current group that calls itself Antifa did. So question has to be raised by everyone on the phone. Why is defensive better? There's a reason why Antifa in the beginning, which was aligned with the Communist Party in Germany, did that. It wasn't because they were nice people. It's because tactically, tactics and strategy, what is the effect of defensive? Defensive shows you that you're protecting. Offensive makes you look as you're anti-democratic. All these things that are happening where senior citizens go to a Trump rally and they come back bloodied by young Antifa forces, how do you think the average person looks at that? You think it brings them closer to the left, to us, the real left? Or do you think it puts them further away? People look at us as anti-democratic, as coming in and breaking up people's rights to speak. So even tactically, it's wrong. So I'm presenting something here, and it's on how Antifa targets LGBT people as well. In the criticism of Antifa, it's important to also mention that they target LGBT people and that they prey on LGBT Marxists, especially Marxist-Leninists. It's unfortunate to see their divisiveness, but it's all too true. They befriend LGBT Marxist-Leninists and other LGBT Marxists and try to sway them away from the movement using anecdotal evidence of alleged oppression of LGBT people in socialist states, entirely ignoring the historical materialism behind these alleged events. They bring up a specific article titled Gays in the Gulag, which has long since been debunked as nothing more than the ramblings of someone with a vendetta against Marxism-Leninism. Or they'll bring up that Stalin didn't support homosexuality and that the Soviet Union criminalized homosexuality, while totally ignoring the science of the day, and that science, sadly, at the time, supported this. They refused to take a critical position on the subject, and they simply wish to demonize Marxism-Leninism as being anti-LGBT. They ignore the people such as Kurt Fron, who was a Marxist psychologist from Czechoslovakia, who was the man who discovered that homosexuality was not a mental illness and whose discovery and activism led to the decriminalization of homosexuality in the majority of the Eastern Bloc nations. They ignore the state-sponsored gender confirmation surgery in Czechoslovakia and the German Democratic Republic, as well as the state-sponsored gay clubs and bars in the German Democratic Republic. They ignore comrades like Leslie Feinberg and Marsha P. Johnson, both LGBT Marxist-Leninists. Their subversive actions seek only to dismantle any support for Marxism by LGBT people. And in this capacity, we can only describe them as records.
their actions show that work with us. So they will tolerate our presence at marches and at protests. We can see from their actions that they are not working with us because there is a large number of LGBT Marxists. We can see from our party's leadership the amount of LGBT Marxists that exist and that we will not be swayed by their divisive actions. But still they are out there and they're trying to sway us. They're using these divisive tactics to attempt to build their anarchist movement against Marxism. They're trying to dismantle Marxism and what they're doing is they'll claim that if we criticize them or if we're not willing to work with them, that we are being sectarian. And yet we cannot call them out when on their own sectarian action, when they spread lies about how Marxist-Leninists don't support LGBT people. When we can look at Cuba and Vietnam today and Laos, and we can see the support that LGBT people get in these countries and the support that they've gotten previously in socialist countries. I want to remind everybody what tonight's class was about. What is Antifa? What was Antifa? Who's behind the original Antifa in Germany? Who's behind the original Antifa here? Antifa, their actions, who is it helping? Is it helping the communist movement or is it helping the right-wing movement? And that's what the basis of tonight's class was. I want to remind people. They're just rioters. They have nothing to do with the movement that we're trying to make. They just want to go out there and release their anger. And I pity them, to be honest. Thank you. I was someone who was involved in the larger, like, Antifa movement. And the more I read into theory, the more I realized how disorganized and how hectic and useless Antifa is generally. Thank you. I definitely learned something in today's class. As someone who used to identify as an anarchist or libertarian socialist, if you want, I can definitely confirm that everything our comrades have been saying here is absolutely true. You really won't find many more vehement anti-Marxists than in anarchist circles. I always found that troubling as somebody who wanted to work and fight for democracy around the world. You see the work and the success of communists, and as someone who identified at the time, you have to sit there and ask, uh, why is this happening? Thank you, Cameron. I think it's interesting to me because a lot of the arguments that are pro-Antifa are often about what the message is to fascist organizations and to make them scared and intimidated to come out. But a lot of the arguments today in the class are about what the message is to the broader public. And I think that's kind of a hard contradiction to weigh because overall our goal should be to mobilize and make the masses understand class consciousness and that, in the end, is an anti-fascist goal in and of itself. Because anarchists will say that this does work. Like, they are seeing a significant fear in fascist organizers of some of their tactics. But I think it's just a pros and cons statement between who the audience is and which audience is more important to hit. Good discussion tonight. You should always remember that anarchism, in a lot of ways, is just a mind game for the middle class. 
ultimately working people don't want disorder in their lives. They want more order, especially if they're subject to the whims of the market. So basically everything that was discussed tonight was correct and good. Thank you. If anybody wants to see the end result of the anarchist mode of organization, then just look at what happened in Seattle, and you'll see that it's not very effective. The first thing I thought when someone had told me that was, sounds like the FBI. When you see that stuff, comrades, the first thing you should think is, it's like a quote. We need to have this as a bumper sticker. WWLD. What would Lenin do? Is that what, what Lenin would do 100 years ago? So in light of the recent political changes that were probably a result of the intensity of the riots and protests, was the place for property destruction or violence in seeking political change or direct action? And also, what is the right way to fight the rise of fascism? The right way to fight fascism, read Georgi Dimitrov's book, The United Front. That, to me, is a perfect program to fight fascism. Our job is to get, as someone else mentioned here, other people in the middle with us against fascism. And Georgi Dimitrov, I urge you to get the book, United Front Against Fascism, talks about the difference between the United Front and the Popular Front. What is the Popular Front? And I think we showed that during the Popular Front, we defeated fascism on this planet. That was a Popular Front movement. That was capitalist states and socialist states. That was working together against fascism. So the answer is historically obvious. We did it. We did it. We defeated fascism during that period, and we did it because of the Popular Front. And that's all I want to say. Thank you. I personally think it's unfair to paint Antifa with such a broad brush here in the United States. I've organized with Antifa members here in my area, and none of them are as was described today. I've actually organized Antifa events, and it's always been in the mindset of being defensive, and it's never been offensive or outright aggressive. We've always been there to defend, and I think the media has painted Antifa with a very unfair brush, and I feel like that's kind of seeped into today's class. Comrade. We're talking fundamentals here when we're talking about these subjects. The anti-fascist movement as a whole, I'm sure it's full of great, loving people who legitimately have problems with the system and are fighting against it. But the fact of the matter is, we're talking fundamentals here. Having a hundred dudes on the street that have no ideological training, that have no physical training, that have no discipline, that have no leadership, that have no cadre, that are just on their own to do their own thing, that's not going to do anything. We're not going to have concentrated movements and so on. Thank you. As we enter revolutionary times, and we know that conscience is changing a lot, the youth will embrace anarchism, especially in the West, as it's not really conflicting the anti-Soviet propaganda. Uh, my question to this class today would be, how should we deal with the youth whose minds are constantly evolving in their views besides attacking them, because this class could be taken by a few right now. I'm going to show these anarchists that they're not really up to it and things like that. So we've got to bear in mind there's a lot of immaturity going on here and a lot of rage within the population. Yes. 
how Thank are you. we dealing with that with radicalizing them? To what the other comrade was saying earlier about not wanting to paint Antifa with broad strokes, I agree with this a little bit as well. I do know people in Antifa who I work with regularly who are cool. But I will say, as far as a fundamental issue, they aren't a centralized organization, as we all know. And so you see these different tendencies all over Antifa, where some of them are using violence a lot and some aren't. So I just wanted to point out that as a critical flaw of Antifa in general, is their lack of organization. I think a good way to look at this is that Antifa is sort of based on individualistic or true anti-fascism. It's based on a mass organization of the working class and allied classes in a popular front. And I think a good historical example of that is the Battle of Cable Street in London. I would urge people to read the history of that, where the Communist Party, the Jewish community, and the trade unions defeated a march of the British Union of Fascists. And at that time, fascism was actually quite a danger in Britain, and they defeated it. Thank you. I know that there's a lot of ideological lines that divide us, but I think we need to come together in order to have an effective revolution in this country. I will echo, I do think the broad stroke thing is true. There are good-hearted individuals and there are violent and non-violent tactics. I think that while I agree that we should be wary of the lack of organization and ideological backbone, from my own perspective, as a black man living in America, just in the past week, there have been five new lynchings that can be drawn back to white supremacy. And so I do think that while we should be wary of Antifa, they don't just go on the offensive all the time. They also do dox these fascists, and they keep them hidden in their holes, because otherwise they'll be shown to the public, they'll be shown to their families and to their jobs, and they'll lose their jobs, and their lives will be irreparably ruined. And I do think that while we should be aware, we do also need to recognize that there is a certain need to fight back against them and a certain way to protect particularly marginalized folk and people of color. Thank you. All right, thank you. This is a rather traumatizing story about how a friend of mine was killed as a direct result of unorganized action in the name of anti-fascism. Now, I agree with many people there are tactics like the United Fronts, anti-fascist organizations that are based in deep-rooted theory and organization, and these are the tools we need to use to fight fascism. But in 2011, Austin, Texas, during the Occupy Movement era, there was a rally of KKK people in Austin near the Capitol. And me and the comrades that I knew from my university, that we were just students and communists, we weren't in any organization. We went to counter-protest with the Antifa movement that had popped up in, in Austin, Texas. And these mass Antifa people started getting violent with the KKK members and the police, and it led to violence breaking out. And as a result of that, my friend, a transgender person of color, was bricked in the back of the head by a KKK member and murdered. And that wasn't violence started by the right, though they were there provoking people, don't get me wrong, and we should combat them. The reason that this violence and working class people started to get hurt was because people claiming to be anarchists and anti-fascists started throwing shit and punching people. That's just my point. It's when someone takes a personal offense that we have criticized the unorganization and, frankly, counter-revolutionary tactics 
of Antifa, the 21st century Antifa reiteration, you should really step back and divorce your emotions from it, look at it dialectically, and see that it literally leads to killing of innocent working people. So that's what I want to say. Okay. I'm going to have to interrupt the roll call now by just mentioning, in life, whenever we criticize, we don't you the term brush, painting everyone with the same brush, that is common. I want everyone to know that. Everyone paints the communists with one brush, and we're not all the, the same. The broad brush. The broad brush. Thank you. Thank you. And we're not all the same. So that has to be understood that that's done in everything in life. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule. But generally, generally society, when they're discussing something, use people as a collective. The Nazis believe in this. The communists believe in that. And the so-and-so believe in this, whatever. But not all Jews or blacks or whatever are the same. That has to be understood. But the point that we're making in this class is not, not the subjective reason why people do things. We are Marxists. We are Leninists. The reason we go to is the objective results. That's the point. And if the objective result is positive, then we have to look at that. If the objective result is negative, we have to look at that too. So we're not talking about people's reasons for doing this. They're not talking about good people or bad people. That's not what Marxists do. We're talking about the objective and objective results of actions. And I wish people understand that. And sure, many of us have known people of different political persuasions who are really good, and we know people of the same political persuasions as us who are lousy people. They're just crummy people. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about good people and bad people. This is a scientific science, Marxism-Leninism. That's all I wanted to say. So I want to thank everybody for taking the time and showing the respect for each other's views. Thank you. Good night.